on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome in to another edition of the Game Plan Podcast. Johnny T-Shirt. Staples. Greg Barnes is here shortly. Greg has been working hard today. Jason, get you in here first to get your take on, on the news. Tez Walker eligible. Uh, I know you were a proponent of his el- eligibility, uh, but what did you think when you heard the news? And, uh, you know, how can this maybe sort of change a little things for North Carolina's offense? To be honest, my first thought was, Man, I feel like they finally got it right and good for that young man to finally get get a shot to to do things this year. That was my first thought. It was actually about Tez himself because he's been through the last uh, last couple months where this should never have been never never should have taken this long. This the second thought was, oh wow, it's on now in terms of of Carolina's passing game uh, because. You know, you were there. You you saw some of the open practices. You you've seen this guy at work, and you've seen him just straight up working guys in practice. And yeah, um, he adds a he adds a missing dimension to the Carolina Carolina offense. I mean, God only knows what he would have done against, say, Pitt last week with the way that they play all that single coverage and and those things. Uh. Yeah, he gives them an entirely different dynamic, and you, teams are going to have to cover Carolina differently, and they're going to have to defend Carolina differently against the run as a result of of his presence on the field. So that's going to make a big difference. Bring in Greg Barnes here. Greg, of course, on the forefront of all things NCAA related when it comes to North Carolina. Greg and I did a, a reaction show live around one thirty or so. Had eight hundred plus people in the live chat, which is absolutely incredible. Shout out to the 300 plus that have joined us tonight, Greg. Uh, what you been up to, my friend? Since we last spoke at two o'clock, uh, you get any rest, any food, maybe some something to drink, anything to sort of relax the mind. It's like uh, old times, Tommy. That's that's the thing. I was telling my wife the uh, the adrenaline rush on a news breaking day is uh, is hard to uh, replicate when you're out of the business. <laughs> and uh so that was fun I, I enjoyed that part of it and also as you guys have noted just 
happy for Tez that uh, he's filing through this. I hate that he had to miss four games. Uh, but as they say, I guess his own like Donkey Kong for the next next eight regular season games and then however many postseason games there are. Tour of vengeance. Indeed. It'll be interesting. Let, let's talk about, uh, obviously, North Carolina and Syracuse play. It is not Tez Walker versus the world anymore. It was. Um, but now Tez becomes a, a, a part of the North Carolina program to actively play on Saturdays. But let's sort of talk about that impact and working him in. And, Greg, I'll start with you simply because you mentioned it during the live reaction is he was working with the twos this week, and that's significant. They couldn't run him with the ones consistently all, you know, up until now simply because you take away reps from other people. Um, But how has that been going, and what have you heard about the impact um, that Tez has been able to have in his other role in practice, serving on the scout team, doing those type things for this team while he waited or awaited his fate with the NCAA? Well, certainly one of the benefits of having a, a very good player who is not able to play, you know, last year, of course, it was Tamari Fox uh, playing on the scout team for the defense. This year it was Taz Walker. And when you can get somebody like that, uh, that's really beneficial for your starters because typically – you know, those types of players are working with your ones and twos and even at times your threes. But to have that level of talent uh, working against you in game prep, <laughs> uh, that, that stresses you and that, that tests you more than you've probably had in practice since training camp. So that part of it has been a good thing. You know, if you go back to training camp, Tez Walker ran a lot with the ones throughout all of camp. Um, and as we started to kind of get an understanding of what the NCAA mess was in terms of his case, we're kind of like, things don't look good for him. I wonder why they're playing him so much in training camp. And I, you know, we all knew they kind of had hopes that he could get eligible, but then at the last minute he wasn't. And it was like, ah, was that the right decision when you could have been giving a lot of these other guys a ton of reps? Well, <laughs> uh, as it turns out, that's very beneficial because while he has been on the scout team for the first month of the regular season, he had a full month there in training camp where he was running with the ones and he did get a lot of work with, with Drake may. And so while he hasn't had as much in recent weeks, he still has a lot of the, I mean, what 29, I guess practices in the preseason. Um, so the exposures there, uh, is he going to be as good Saturday as he'll be, against Miami and then later on against Duke and Clemson, probably not. Um, And they may not have him in for as many plays just as he kind of gets adjusted back into it. Uh, But I I think he'll be ready to go. Jason, you've been around practices. You've seen how it works. Your take on that aspect of it. I mean, obviously he's practiced to Greg's point. He and Drake worked all spring, all summer on that chemistry factor, which is so important um, in college football and in football period. Um, your thoughts there with, with sort of working Tez back into this. He hasn't been like in another country somewhere. He's been with the team, um, but now he is active. He, he is off the the uh, the list and, and active. How, how is that working process in for him go? Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to take very long, if, if, it, if any at all, because I mean, you got to remember during indie periods and everything, he's he's practicing you know, he's taking throws from Drake may and he's practicing with those guys. Uh, it's only once you get to team and all that, that he's, he's doing other stuff. So, I mean, 
I don't think it's going to take all that long to to get there in terms of the uh, of knocking whatever rust off. I mean, like you said, he's not been in another country. He's been playing football, and you know he's been going against the first team DBs, <laughs> right? I mean, it's not like he's not been doing stuff. He's he's going to be just fine. Uh, I think it, I think he'll. It, this is a plug and play type thing, and uh, the other thing is that you know the. He's no one trick pony, but he's got one trick that's really, really good. And that's just running by people. And, you know, that that's not going to have changed. Right. His ability to just get on the horse and, and run by somebody and be there for a deep ball from Drake May is still going to be there. And that's not going to take any time to adjust on. And, and, uh, and that's something that I would expect to see a couple shots early on. I mean, if I'm Carolina, I come out first first quarter and I'm letting him stretch his legs a little bit. <laughs> I'm 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 lining up to get a few shot plays and and get him involved and force Syracuse to either bring that safety over the top and and cover him and leave somebody like Nate McCollum wide open on, you know, an over concept or something. Or okay, you're going to try to run with him? Fine. Then we're just going to toss it over the top and see if he can run under it. Uh, I'm giving him two or three of those in the first half. And, okay. you know, that changes the game. We catch one of those and that changes the game. Yeah, those free touchdowns are, are nice to have. And they're not free, but they look easy when you can run past. It kind of reminds me, everybody says, uh, oh, he's, all I can do is dunk. Like, all Shaquille O'Neal can do is dunk. <laughs> well, yeah. It's a pretty good <laughs> trick. You might only have, you know, one trick, but it's a dang good trick. Exactly. Uh, but but he's not a one-trick pony. He's actually a more complete receiver in that respect and, and can do some of those other things. But he does that one thing really well, and it's the one thing that's been a glaring absence on the Carol in the Carolina passing game so far this year. And you just have to think back to what a difference Deami Brown made for Sam Howell. I mean, how many times did did that Carolina team, you know, Deami's last last season as a Tar Heel, how many times did games just get broken open because there was one on one, and they just happened to you know, get the right one-on-one at the right time. And they had a vertical called and Sam went over the top and there you got a free seven. Like you said, it's not free, but it's a quick seven. And, you know, you end up winning a six point game because that guy beat, beat a guy over the top. I mean, you go all the way back to the Clemson game that year where they, they really should have beaten Clemson and Keenan. Uh, what was Carolina's first score? Do you remember that? The Diami just holding up his hand. Hey, Hey, single coverage against this first round pick corner. They're going to try to cover me with this guy. That's disrespectful. I'm going to just take off running. And yeah, he ran right by that first round corner. And all of a sudden it's seven, nothing. And that changes the complexion of a game. It, I've said for a while that, that as long as you've got Drake may, you've got a puncher's chance against just about anybody. And this just adds power to that. You know, it adds a few pounds per square inch to that punch. Indeed. Greg, what about the pressure factor on Tez? I mean, we kind of talked, as this was all shaking out over the last couple months, several weeks, is this guy better be really good, or, or he's going to have to be really good um, and almost perfect for people that have watched. I mean, he's still a human being. He he still has pressure. He's still got to work it in. But what about that aspect as far as the human aspect of Tez? Tez dealing with this and now getting the opportunity. Yeah, I don't think pressure is really an issue. I think, if anything, he's going to have to kind of slow his roll in terms of the emotions of being so excited to get back out there. 
because really for the past month, even though he's had some people working for him behind the scenes, uh, there hasn't been a lot of hope really until the end of last week that the NCAA would even consider coming back to the table to talk. And so there were several weeks there where he, I mean, he was dead in the water. Um, and so I think he's going to be so excited to get back out there that that's where he has to be careful. I don't think it's a pressure thing. I mean, I, you know, people, players at this level, uh, I mean, they thrive on that kind of thing. And they're always looking for, for motivation. What more motivation do you need than being screwed by the NCAA and missing four games? Uh, so I, I really do think of anything, he's just going to have to catch a breath, uh, make sure he, he calms down just a little bit. And the opportunities are going to be there. I mean, as Jason just laid out, he's a special talent. And you know – you know Drake May is going to be looking for him. And you know <laughs> Chip Lindsey is going to have some shot plays there because you know that, hey, if, if we give Drake some time, he's going to have an ability to take a shot down the field. And if the opposing team doesn't send a safety over the top or their cornerbacks not as fast as maybe he thinks he is, that's going to be a relatively easy score, or at least a deep passing play. Um, so I think he's going to be excited. Now, uh you know, I, I think it will be fascinating to see. Um, you know, it's kind of cliche, but do you, you that first play of the game? Do you even risk throwing a bomb just to make a point? Um, <laughs> you know, maybe I wouldn't do it on a, the first one. I'd do it on the second one. Maybe there's, against the FCS team, you could do that, right? <laughs> oh, I, I think there's any questions he starts. I, I think yeah. they'll roll him yeah. out there, and he'll get a thunderous applause and all those kind of things. There's not a single chance that anybody on that roster is going to have any complaint about him taking their spot as, as a starter. First of all, they all know he's better than they are. And guys know when you, when you're you an know. athlete, yeah. you know, you know, you know, you're, you're backing up Michael Jordan and look, he's not Michael Jordan, but you know, you're backing up Michael Jordan and you're not bitter that that guy's playing a lot more minutes than you are. Yeah. So, so how does this, let's sort of talk about it on the whole um, I, you know, I, I spoke with some Syracuse podcasts earlier in the week, earlier today and earlier in the week before this news came down and sort of said Carolina's offenses can be methodical. Um, if they had Walker, it'd be a lot more explosive. Jason, how does this affect the offense from the wide outs all the way in to the running backs? We'll, we'll stick with the skills. Um, you know, a guy like J.J. Jones has stepped up and made plays. A guy like Nate McCollum um, had a huge game. Uh, you know, as he's worked back in, how, how does Tez's presence help these other guys? What it does is it is so, so much of, of modern offensive football is based on the, the principle of stretching the defense. You want to stretch them horizontally. Everybody does that with formation. And Carolina does that as much as anybody. I mean, they line guys up with extra wide splits at times, all those sorts of things. I mean, some of the Bryles tree stuff, they'll borrow from some of that at times. And we've seen a little bit of that this year. But you can stretch horizontally as, as much as you want. If you don't have a vertical threat where you've got to really cover those deep zones, defenses can still pack in certain things and they can still take away stuff around the line of scrimmage. If you've got a guy that, you know, as they say, can take a top off the defense, can can run by whoever you put across from him, now you have to take an extra guy who's just going to make sure that that the, the thing that defensive coordinators worry about the most is one play drives that are scores. 
right? You, you want to make teams earn it. You want to be able to tip your cap and go, okay, look, we were in position. We made you earn it. You had seven plays. You didn't make a mistake on any of them. You blocked our guys. All right, well, you know, we gave up a touchdown. That's going to happen. What you don't want is, well, there goes that man again. He just ran right by our guy. And, you know, I'm, I've got my guy out on an island and my guy can't cover that guy. So as soon as that starts to be a threat, you start to have to rotate a safety over the top. You start to have to, you know, bail your cornerback out a bunch and just make sure he's playing over the top. And then that means you're going to have to pull somebody out to the flat to play underneath to take away the flat. So you're having to layer things defensively just because of that guy. And as soon as you do that, you roll the safety. Well, guess where that safety's not? In the box. He's not over there. He's not close to the line of scrimmage. So this opens up the running game. If the if you have to commit an extra safety to a deep zone, it opens up other receivers. If you're if you're essentially doubling or bracketing one guy, what happens if you put Nate McCollum at the number two receiver inside somebody like Tez? Well, they're going to have to play Tez over the top. You run Tez deep. He takes two guys with him, and now you got a one-on-one. They can't commit two to that guy because if they commit two to that guy, there's nobody on somebody else or your three-man rushing. And so, you know, a guy like JJ, who's had a, a breakout in the last couple of games, all of a sudden he sees single coverage all game because you're more afraid of that guy beating you than that guy. Well, all of a sudden he gets opportunities that are a lot easier for him. So, I mean, we saw how much it made a difference when McCollum came back, right? I mean, the passing offense got a real boost when he came back against Minnesota. And now you add the other piece to that puzzle and, you know, Pitt bracketed McCollum the entire game. Okay. If you're going to do that, you're going to take away McCollum. You're going to have freebies to this guy on the outside and he's an even bigger play threat. So now you can't bracket McCollum. So now McCollum in some games is going to get another 15 catches. So it, it forces defense to defenses to pick their poison much more and opens up a lot more of what you want to do offensively. You can just start playing. You can just start going to wherever the matchup is. Greg, you talked a lot about Rocky long um, in the past and, and we've talked about how good he is. How does his game plan change? If you know, you would think, and I, well, I say you would think, um, you would expect them to maybe know this was coming, but I don't know if they possibly could. I don't know what the noise is up at Syracuse, but you get the news on Thursday at two o'clock that now they've got this speedster out there. Um, how does Rocky Long, in your opinion, you love defense. How does a guy like Rocky Long either adjust to this or deal with this for Syracuse for a defense that's been good this year, pretty good this year? Yeah, I think it's a an interesting dynamic because you really all you have to go on is is what Tez did last year at Kent State because he hasn't played yet. And kind of to your point earlier, Tommy, uh, there's a lot of hype surrounding the kid and a lot of potential, but he hasn't proved it yet in a North Carolina uniform. And Rocky doesn't want to be the guy where he proves it against, but at the <laughs> same time – do you completely change your scheme based on a kid that you don't have that much information on other than knowing that he's a good wide receiver? And I, you know, you can't do that. And so um, there may be a little bit of small changes in place in terms of making sure there's protection on his side. 
but I, I don't think you really change what you want to do based on one player, unless maybe it's the quarterback. Um, and then if, if you get hurt by Tez Walker a couple times, well, then you start making some in-game adjustments to shore that up. Uh, but I think, as you said, Syracuse has been good. Um, they've got you know, eight guys that have uh, two sacks. They've been very effective getting after the quarterback and and getting into the backfield for tackles for loss. Uh, so I think they're going to keep doing what they they do. And I think more than anything, uh, it, it's not allowing Drake May time to sit back in the the pocket and have a lot of time uh, to be able to throw the ball deep because it really doesn't matter if it's Tess Walker or JJ Jones or whoever. If he's got time to pick you apart, then then Drake's going to do it. Jason, that's Greg sort of teed it up right there. You, you did the uh, the film breakdown of the issues that North Carolina had pass protecting um, against Pittsburgh. This game and this news really really brings out um, the importance that North Carolina gets those offensive line issues fixed. So what's the key there? And, and do you expect Syracuse to just do what they do and hope they can whip North Carolina's offensive line and then Drake doesn't have a chance to throw it deep like that? That that's what I would be doing. I mean, looking at so so getting a chance to evaluate a little bit during the off off week, which you know, of course, we have no off weeks. Um, the uh, there is no off season for us, but uh, getting a chance to go go through and evaluate. And I'd been talking a little bit, you know, slacking a little bit with Ben Sherman, uh, talking about going through some of the uh, offensive line stuff, trying to do some defensive line stuff as well. Uh, and ended up thinking that the article approach for the defensive line would be better, but offensive line, it needed to be, it needed to be seen, (laughs) right? Like, and so I found a play where it was like, okay, let's try to find all the problems that are emerging on, you know, play to play basis that all happen in one play. (laughs) And that's the one that came out today. And it was brutal, right? I mean, it was, it's one of those where, you know, that's, that's like Armageddon up front. Like it was bad. (laughs) And I tell you what, if I'm the defensive coordinator of any team on the schedule moving forward, I see that, and that's chum for Sharks. I'm going, okay. I think my guys can get their advantage against that guy, that guy, and that guy up front, and maybe that guy too at different points. And I'm just bringing five and six guys over and over and over again, and we're going to tackle the running back on the way to the quarterback and we're going to make this quarterback have to make very quick decisions from the pocket or he's going to be getting lit up. And I mean, this is what everybody's been paying a lot of attention to Colorado. This is what happened with Colorado as soon as they got against good competition, right? They're, they're far worse than North Carolina on the offensive line. And Shadir Sanders is a good quarterback. But I mean, there's only so much you can do if the time to pressure is one point four seconds or whatever it is right i mean you you don't have a whole lot of space to get those guys free and so you know the 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 thing i would be doing and and you look at syracuse against clemson syracuse had 12 tackles for loss and three sacks right that was the game i wanted to take a look at in terms of like okay syracuse has not played really a team of the pulse before that let's take a look at what they do against clemson clemson's pretty good Clemson's not great up front. They're not, I mean, they're a little better than I think North Carolina is on the offensive line, but, and they're really good defensively, but that, 
I wanted to see what Clemson did against against that or what Syracuse did against that Clemson front. And to be honest, I thought they I thought the 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 Syracuse the Syracuse defensive line and the Syracuse front overall, you know, they, they held their own for three and three and three quarters quarters, basically in that game and got a lot of pressure on the quarterback. So if they're doing that against Clemson and basically saying, we're going to force Klubnik to make those plays like that. I, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't do the same thing against North Carolina. Greg, somebody in the chat said, who's happier Drake Mayer or Marion Hampton? I think, you know, obviously Drake there, but it opens it up a little bit for Marion, British Brooks, and, you know, who else? Elijah Green, Caleb Hood, anybody else that can get in the running game. Just sort of walk through the running game, you think, the approach and how the Walker edition um, or the game plan sort of changes there for the running game. Well, I think all you have to do is look at the App State game, right? And um, as Chip Lindsey laid out with, with App State, Really, you know, keeping an extra safety back there, trying to limit you know, Drake's ability to throw the ball down the field while at the same time um, congesting and clogging the passing lanes a little bit. That opened things up and put fewer people in the box, and therefore, Marion Hampton had a you know a career day. Um, and so, I, it's again, we'll have to see exactly how effective Tez Walker is. Um, I think there's a there's always the the tendency to build players up. You know, we see it with recruits all the time. And we know the talent he has, but he's got to be able to do that on the field for North Carolina. Uh, he hasn't done that quite yet. Once that you know transition uh, cements itself, and he actually is the player that we expect him to be, well, then teams won't have a choice but to uh, you know, if you don't have a cornerback who's super fast, you're going to have to keep a safety over the top. You don't have a choice. And therefore you're maybe having to take somebody out of, out of the box to help in, help in your coverage. Um, and that's automatically going to make it easier for the run game to have success. And, uh, you know, I think the fact that Nate McCollum had already come back um, and JJ Jones has, has popped off a little bit and we know what, Kobe Pacewar can do. It's not like Carolina didn't have options. Um, but when you add a, a vertical threat like Tez Walker, it does change up things a little bit. Um, but there's enough talent at the skill positions now uh, for Drake May and Chip Lindsay that it's a very balanced attack. And it really is a situation where you're going to take what the defense gives you. Um, and when you have a, a threat like Walker being able to stretch the field, even if the defense doesn't want to give you that, you still may have the opportunity to make a play down the field, which is a luxury most teams don't have. Jason, I see you having fun in the chat, so I'm going I'm to get the question in here. It, assuming Willie Lampkin is back, and all we've heard is that um, you know he's been evaluated, he, he's participated, so he should play. If he doesn't, um, that might be an issue a little bit. But Carolina's best five offensive linemen, Jason, would Lampkin help? I think it's right now it's it's pounds at left tackle, uh, Lampkin at left guard, Gainer at center, uh, probably Barnes at right guard, and and then Rollins. And to me, Rollins has not been a problem this year. I mean, I don't think he was really a problem last year. I think he's been the most consistent guy probably. Uh, Gainer is who he is. I mean, he's going to be, you know, he's a decent center uh, at the ACC level. He's not a he's not a major weakness. He's not a, a major strength. And then. 
I think the other three are all guys that, you know, if, if Lampkin's not fully healthy and even, even if he is, I mean, there is a, he is undersized, uh, but I think he's the best lineman they've got on the interior uh, despite that. But I think, you know, essentially the, uh, the other three spots are all spots where if you're a defensive coordinator, you feel like if you get a one-on-one there with the right guy, you're going to be able to get an advantage. And so that's something Carolina has to kind of scheme around right now. And they knew that by the way, going into going, you know, going back to the spring. I mean, I, I remember talking to Chip Lindsay about uh, what they're trying to do on the, in short yardage and goal line saying, well, you know, that approach, I mean, I, I do think that approach is a better approach. I mean, I, I believe in that more. And he goes, well, yeah, it doesn't matter what you do though. If you keep getting your butt kicked, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. <laughs> if you keep getting your butt kicked on, on off on the offensive line, you got to be able to hold your water there. And so they knew this. I mean, they, they've, they've been doing their best to get these guys more prepared and better able to, to handle their physical load. And I do think in general, they've been better in the run game. That group has been better in the run game than they have been in pass protection. And that's one of the reasons why uh, I think May's numbers are a little bit less prolific on the year is that they have to be more, more judicious about how they're going to protect him right now. Indeed. I'm going to take a second to talk about Johnny T-shirt. We're going to get back into it after the break. Talk about more of North Carolina versus Syracuse, but Johnny T-shirt, Johnny T-shirt.com. Jason, I need the woo. Hold up. I'm, I'm waiting. I, I put it in different spots. Oh, let's see. You're confusing me. Sorry, Johnny. Uh, Johnny T-shirt, of course, sponsors <laughs> of this show and great friends of Inside Carolina. Uh, they got you hookup. They got the Drake May jerseys. Maybe they'll get some Taz Walker jerseys at some point. Mm. Woo! And, and, and uh, maybe they already have them. Mm. I know one thing. If you walk in there, you're walking out with a lot of North Carolina swag on East Franklin Street. And if you can't get to Chapel Hill, which, by the way, somebody in the chat mentioned the weather um, for Saturday. It is absolutely football weather in Chapel Hill on Saturday. So get on down there. And while you're at it, go see Johnny T-Shirt. Take care of them. They take care of us. You get 10% off if you're a premium subscriber. Um, it is worth the price of admission to be a premium subscriber because you get all the news and information from Greg and Jason's film breakdowns and all the recruiting stuff. But then you get 10% off on, on stuff you're going to buy anyway. So it's a no-brainer. Let the national guys pay the bills. It is the game plan, North Carolina Syracuse. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome back uh, to the audio, folks. If you're on the YouTube chat, shout out to the 650 that are in here. <laughs> this this is getting pretty large. I you know I try to keep up with the chat, and the chat goes by so fast I can't star them. So we we almost need somebody like a chat watcher 
Um, but Greg, let's get into it on the other side of the ball. Um, Syracuse has got a good, decent, proven defense. Um, I think that'll be the strength of this team. But everybody wants to talk about Garrett Schrader and his ability to change games with his legs. Um, just sort of talk about Schrader and what you've seen from him and the challenge he presents for North Carolina, who has traditionally struggled with guys that can move. Yeah, and I think Garrett Schrader, because he's he's been so good this year, um, I think people kind of just assume Syracuse's offense is better than the defense. Uh, and that's not actually the case. I mean, Syracuse's offense has been has been solid, um, but I, but I think you know with Schrader, um, his ability to run the ball off script has been really impressive. I mean, he's got uh, he's he's broken twenty eight tackles, uh, which I'm pretty sure that's more than Hampton and Brooks have. Uh, but he's averaging four point four yards uh, per attempt after contact. Uh, which, which is impressive. So it's not like he's uh, he's the guy that goes down very easy. I mean, he's what six four two twenty five. That's a big. That's a big athletic tight end running back there. It really yeah. is. It really is. Um, and what's and, funny is their tight end is a former quarterback. Another big guy. So. <laughs> and they'll run him on design runs in a lot of different ways, which is which is really interesting. But I think what Carolina fans don't want to hear is the fact that on on scramble plays, when he kind of just ad libs, he's averaging nine yards per carry. Um, and so while Drake May has a penchant for for being able to uh, make something out of nothing with his feet, he doesn't do it very often anymore. He did a lot more last year, but he has that capability on the third and long. If things break down, you know you have a chance to pick up the first down with with Drake's feet. Schrader can do that kind of thing. And so when you have that type of talent. Uh, in the shotgun, you really kind of have to be careful with how you, how you approach it. Um, because you, you can't get loose. You can't, can't lose contain. You can't get out of your gaps. It's a lot of discipline, a lot of gap control. Um, cause he will take advantage of it. And I think that's the most important thing for North Carolina. Um, you know, and kind of beyond that, this is pretty standard. Um, Drake May is a little bit of a freak because he's so good in all phases. But Garrett Schrader has been really, really good when he's kept clean this year. He's got an 83.2 grade. Um, he's got been credited with nine big-time throws, which is pretty big. I mean, that's, that's, that's a large number. 71% adjusted completion percentage. Um, under pressure, however, he's, he's not bad, but he's not great. And so if, if you're able to put pressure on him, um, you can really kind of negate some of his passing ability, and that's what Carolina's going to have to do. But you got to be controlled with it. You can't get in a situation where you're running past him and you're getting out of position because he will take advantage of it with his feet. Jason, I was just responding to Walter in the chat, but I'll let you get to it right away. Walter asks, throw it up here on the board, is there any benefit for Chiswick in the defense to play with four down linemen and bring in someone like Gaynor to cover or spy Schrader? Jason, given his prowess with his feet, is a spy an answer? So this touches on a philosophical thing that I have as a former offensive coach. And that is if I'm if I were coaching defense. I would minimize the use of the spy as much as possible. I hate when defenses do a bunch of spy stuff because 
the problem is, first of all, if the if the guy you're spying is a really really good athlete, odds are the guy you're spying with spying him with is probably still not a better athlete than that guy. So let's say Schrader breaks contain just slightly, and the spy is just you know he's he, you know he slides up to the left a little bit and then escapes to the right through the B gap, and the spy is you know playing five yards off the line of scrimmage and immediately like shadows to the to the to the left side initially, and now all of a sudden he's in chase mode. He's still in a bad spot. And the other thing is, if you're if you're spying, a lot of times that spy is playing close enough to the line of scrimmage. Normally spies wind up, you know, five yards or so from the line of scrimmage. That's no man's land as a coverage guy. So if I'm, if I'm a, uh, an offensive coordinator, I'm really grateful when defenses decide to take an extra guy and commit him as a spy, because that means that guy's not rushing the passer and he's not covering anybody. That's exactly. Yes. I love hearing Jason. When I make a comment on another show, talking about don't waste a player spying Schrader and then hear you back up my comment. I love that. I mean, to me, that's like, that's completely stupid. Like, <laughs> and, and the thing is, you're going to spy with one of your best athletes. Why would you do this? And this takes me back to the opener. LSU did this against, against Florida State. They took Harold Perkins, who is an absolute game wrecker, a freak athlete of a linebacker edge type player, and they had him shadow Jordan Travis about 80% of that game, just basically play as a spy. And through most of that game, he's just sort of sitting there bouncing around five yards from the line of scrimmage while Jordan Travis just comfortably goes through his reads and makes plays or makes throws downfield. And my thought was, I mean, I'm watching this game and I'm like, you've got that guy. And you're just going to have him stand there waiting for Jordan Travis to do something in the off chance that you're going to try to take away his legs. At least make that guy go after him and, and chase him or do something with him. It They essentially took their best defensive player out of the game by doing that. And, and I've seen multiple teams do this this year where the mobile quarterback gets, gets spied by somebody. And then, you just watch the defense get cut to ribbons while the quarterback is perfectly content to just stay in the court stay in the pocket while that guy just stays right there. So to me, you don't go spy. What you do is I think, especially against a big quarterback like Schrader and a guy that's not great. I mean, he's decent. He's a decent thrower. He's not a pocket passer. I'm a firm believer in bringing a lot of five man pressures against that kind of running quarterback sometimes six-man, but a lot of five-man pressures. You play under control, and what you do is you tell your defensive tackles to be especially disciplined in their in their rush lanes. You do some twists and things to just cause some – basically just make a mess in the inside, and you try to bring pressure from the outside and force that guy to move to one side. You take away half the field in terms of what he can do in terms of scrambling. Don't let him scramble up the field and make him make his plays – working away from wherever you're rushing and hopefully you have a guy win a, win a matchup on the other side and everything collapses. And now you've got a chance to get sacks. So now you're both speeding him up and you're reducing space for that guy. I'm a big believer in a lot of five man pressures against running quarterbacks. And every so often you bring six every so often you do that, but you want to quicken those guys decision tree, because if he, if he is going to run, you want him to run right now. 
before your defensive backs are upfield and, you know, 15 yards, the worst thing is to let a guy like Garrett Schrader hit the back of his drop, hitch up, and then take off running, you know, three seconds into the play where all your DBs are still down the field covering. See, make Duke, him, see Duke Notre Dame. Yeah. Make him make a decision on run or pass right now and let your guys react to the to that play. That's my defensive philosophy on this. Uh, and if you are going to do anything that resembles a spy, do just basic robber and rat coverages. So where you ha- a rat, you have, let's say, a linebacker who's going to drop to the 10 to 12-yard range, and he doesn't have any coverage responsibility except you're just funneling things to him. So a quick slant, anything like that coming from the inside, he's going to undercut that. That's a coverage responsibility, but the great thing is his eyes are also on the quarterback. So if the quarterback does escape, it's as good as a spy. Just run that. Yeah, it's with five man pressure. Yeah, and, and you mentioned it. Gene Chizik mentioned it on Monday. You know, you, there's normally six rush lanes, and if you have four or five in them, you got to make sure you stay in them because if you vacate one, then it, you give up a big play. Greg, um, Jason's all over it. Eric Allen, literally in the chat, just said exactly what I said. But Jason's all over it here. So, who's the most important player for North Carolina's front seven in this ball game? In your take. Well, I'll let you go defensive line and then work your way back. Well, um, defensive line, I was going to go linebackers um, since you asked me because I think they're very important for reasons that that Jason kind of points out there. I think those are the guys that have the best option of keeping up with Schrader and and making a play after the initial uh, action. Uh, But I – I think the fact that North Carolina hasn't been as successful generating pressure um, the last couple of games, we, we know what they did against South Carolina and really haven't seen that same level, although they did have some success against Pitt. Um, I think, you know, Kamon Rucker's got to show that, hey, we know he's the best defensive lineman, uh, and he's got to start showing that on a game-to-game basis of being the guy that can demonstrate that, hey, it's, it's worth – you don't have to double team me every time, but it's worth taking a look at me. And that I think more than anything, that's what Carolina's lacking up front. If somebody kind of pops and becomes a guy that the opposing team has to look at and say, we need to chip him, we need to double team him, that changes the entire dynamic up front. Um, I don't think they have that guy quite yet. I think Kamon Rucker is the best player up front. So I think he's the guy that uh, has more potential to be that type of player. I mean, if you remember back 2013, that defense was okay the first half of the year, and then it just clicked for Kareem Martin. And second half of that season, he was a freak, and he demanded double teams, and that defense looked a tremendous amount better over the last six, seven games that year. Um, you know, Not that projecting that on Rucker, of course, but just saying that it can't happen. Um, and, and I think more than anything, that needs to happen. So I'll say Rucker, and then as I mentioned, I think it's really – this is an important game for the linebackers because with, with a running quarterback, um, you've got to be able to see what happens. You've got to be able to hit your gaps, and you've got to be very reactive in being able to make sure you can make a play without getting out of position. Jason, uh, I see you in the chat again talking about that fifth guy. Is Gainer the fifth guy in this game? I think in some in, in some packages, yeah. I mean, uh, Syracuse does a lot with their tight ends in terms of uh, in terms of their passing game. 
So this this is one of those games where I, I I think it might be an interesting thing for Carolina to do against against what they do in that they're their big Syracuse's biggest threat to you offensively is Schrader's legs. Right? This would be an interesting game to do more of a traditional four three type personnel. So you go with four down and then you have Gainer play the 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 the, the Sam backer, essentially. Uh, and you have Huzzy as an outside corner in this game more often. Now, you can't do that the whole game. But I think you match their personnel. If they're going to go with bigger personnel in certain cases, you do some of that. You 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 have him on as, a, as an additional outside type rusher and let him loose. Uh, I also think that this is one of those games where when you get the opportunity, you have Gaynor out there with Rucker on the, in the same pass rush uh, uh, package. So, yeah, I think he has more of a role potentially in this game. And you for, I think you're trying to force Syracuse to try to, to spread you and to force you. Maybe they go 10 personnel and they put four receivers out there. Now you can't do as much of that, but I do think that's, that's one thing you do. Uh, otherwise, when you're, not, when you're not in that package, uh, I think you vary who that fifth rusher is going to be. I mean, you bring power, you bring said gray, you bring a safety, you bring Huzzy. You try to make sure against a running quarterback. Again, my view is against a guy that likes to win with his legs. And that's true, by the way, of somebody like uh, like Drake May or even a Caleb Williams, guys who like to hold on to the football and make plays with their legs in addition to their arm. My goal as a, as a defensive coordinator is to speed up their processing. I want them to have to get rid of the football or choose to run now. I don't want them to have the chance to dictate on their own terms. The, the more a guy's a dual threat, the faster I want him to have to, you know, the more I want his, his processing to have to speed up. And, you know, we've seen that with, with Drake May at times where teams that bring especially five man pressures against him and force him to make just, just make the, the quick decision from the pocket. Sometimes he, he's not been, you know, he's so patient and he, he, he believes in his legs and his ability to break contain and all of that, that sometimes he's, that you, you can get him. And I think that's what you do. You, you know, you bring that, you bring that guy this time, you bring that guy this time, that guy this time. And all the time you've got to, you've got to make sure that he's identifying that. And that just speeds him up and gets him just a little bit off rhythm. And the more you can do that, the better. Tommy, just to add to that real quick, uh, Jason mentioned their tight end usage. The, the other aspect of it, too, is they really use their running backs very well. Uh, Syracuse has played five games. they got one one on North Carolina. But their running backs have 21 catches. Carolina's running backs have 11. Uh, and I think it's 52% of Schrader's passes are right around the line of scrimmage. Um, so that's that's probably a little bit more than, than average. Um, but that, that's something too, whenever you're able to get to him, um, you know, that, that's a good option for him as well. So a lot of tight end, a lot of running, running back usage. To, to that point, you mentioned it earlier and I sort of kicked you down to the defensive line. You, you thought it would be a linebacker game. I mean, that makes, that, that tells me that Cedric Gray and especially Power Eccles, who's been vulnerable at times, needs to be at the top of their game. Uh, you need the pass rush. You need to do everything Jason talked about, but you need to be able to defend those guys out of the backfield. Um, what have you seen from them? I guess my question I wanted to ask in the whole, is, is this North Carolina's defense improved, Greg? Is it legitimately improved 
this year compared to last year and why? You mentioned pressure rates and all that, but tell me why and what North Carolina fans can expect to see as evidence of that improvement against Syracuse. Well, I think the the key part, and, and Jason's hit on this, uh, he hit on this on his column this week, but you know, last year Carolina was blitzing and was not getting home. It's so all you're doing at that point in time is you're just taking somebody out of coverage. And that puts a lot of pressure on your secondary, and Carolina's secondary wasn't very good last year, and there you go. Well, they're doing a better job of getting home this year. Um, they're just a little bit more sound fundamentally. I think they're doing a better job tackling. They've got some some better options on the back end, which gives and the guys a little bit more time. I think that might be the biggest part. Yeah. I think that, that might be the biggest part because they're not giving up big plays when they do bring pressure. Right. And so, and now, have they played elite offenses? Not necessarily. Um, Spencer <laughs> Rattler, you know, they look really good against him. Uh, they did have a little bit of a spy to help with that game plan. And that was the first first game of the year. Um, so this will be more of a test for, for, for North Carolina um, defensively. But I think they've had some good success. I mean, you can only do so much, right? You can only play the opponent in front of you. And I think for the most part, they've done a pretty good job. Now the, the talent level of the opposition is ramping up this week and next week. And so this is the progression. Carolina needs to play a little bit better this week and need to get a little bit better next week. I think one of the challenges um, here, and when you start talking about the tight end usage, you start talking about the running back usage in the passing game. Well, now all of a sudden when the when the linebackers and maybe that nickel, the star, understand that they have all these responsibilities to look out for, and then you throw in a running quarterback to, to boot, that's a lot of pressure on the interior of your, your defense on that second line especially. Um, and I really think I think those guys are kind of the key component here. If, if they do a really good job of tackling in space and staying in position and hitting the gaps when they need to, Carolina you know, will have some success. But if there's a lot of kind of broken plays where guys, you know, a couple feet out of position or doesn't pick up a running back the way he's supposed to, those are the, the plays that can get away from you. And I think that's how Syracuse has some success. Jason, talk about North Carolina's back end. Somebody asked, and I don't, like I said, it's going by so fast. Almost 700 people in the live chat, which is nuts. Uh, <laughs> uh, North Carolina's back end against Syracuse. Syracuse got some size. Alford, I believe, is the receiver. He's 6'6". Six, six. Um, the tight end's got some size. And the other receiver, they've got some injuries. Uh, two guys out for the year. But how does North Carolina's back end fare here? Tayon Holloway had that bad pism by fire against South Carolina. Um, has looked okay, looked better in the last several weeks. But somebody else in the chat mentioned they've been they've been beaten at times in the back in, in the back end, and the quarterback just could not make the throw. What have you seen from them? And sort of talk about that aspect of this game Saturday. Well, I think this is where you you really get a chance to see Carolina's improvement at the cornerback position over year over year. And I think actually that's been the biggest, biggest improvement that they've had uh, from last year to this one in terms of, yeah, they're, they're producing more overall sacks and tackles for loss, though the sacks and tackle for tackles for loss were very concentrated in one game. Uh, what they have been consistently better at is making offenses earn it when they're throwing at the corners and, and at Huzzy in the slot. Offenses are having to earn what they're doing. App got some freebies here and there because of some some leverage stuff. They seem to have cleaned some of that up since then. 
but this is going to be a game where they are going to get challenged a little bit more. I mean, like you said, they've got some big receivers on the outside that are going to, that are going to uh, make things more difficult in that respect. And, you know, you did uh, mention Tayon getting mossed a few times by Le- uh, Leggett, who's, you know, he's really good. Uh, and I don't think Syracuse has one of those guys. I mean, they've got some big receivers. They've got some good athletes out there, but they don't have one of those guys. And I think Carolina should be able to uh, single cover Syracuse's outside receivers. And they may give up a play or two, but one of the things that in the bye week, as I was working through the season so far, one of my conclusions was if I were self-scouting as Carolina, if I were uh, Gene Chizik, I would conclude that I can afford to be more aggressive moving forward because I believe in my in my corners. And I think that's one of the strengths of, of the defense. So what that meant, and when you actually look at it, interesting thing, and this is in the article that I uh, I did earlier this week, Carolina's overall big plays given up rate is first of all, I think against the, when they blitz, I think it's uh, like top 14, top 15 in the country, if I remember right. And their rate of big plays given up is actually lower when blitzing this season than when they don't. And excuse me, that's one of the things that communicates to me. Okay. I feel like I can get after receivers a little bit more lean on those corners and try to create, try to leverage a little bit more, take away the run, get some pass, pass rush and that sort of thing. So I think you can single cover those guys and, and roll the dice a little bit, believing they're going to try to target your interior. They're going to try to take advantage of your safeties backers in coverage and try to take advantage of their quarterback's legs the more you can commit to defending the interior of the field with those guys and just leave your corners on islands, I think the better off you are. Greg, need to get to the predictions, but I, I'm going to ask you about special teams. This one aspect we never really talk about last week or two weeks ago, I guess, Carolina had a block punt and gave up a kick return for a touchdown. And, you know, I don't have all the advanced stats, but I'd wager if you give up both of those in a game, you're probably losing that game 80% of the time. Um, you know, how does North Carolina sort of shore that up? And then with George Petaway leaving or, or redshirting, what about kick returns? I mean, they fair catch everything, so I don't think it needs to be somebody other than somebody could just catch the football. But Nate McCollum's special. a really good returner. He is, and and that's the thing I, we talked about in, in watching the watching the uh, open practices. Nate McCollum is that guy. Then you run into, do you put that guy returning kicks? But Greg, special teams and their importance. Yeah, clearly it's very important. Um, and I think just the way that things kind of played out for Carolina last game raises some concerns. Um, but Carolina was really good special teams-wise last year. Uh, just looking at the numbers here, I mean, they're, they're 47th in special teams F+. And some of that still kind of carries over from last year. Uh, but we're you know, we're five weeks in now, so there's a lot of this year's data in that. So I think really last week was more of kind of a um, just a one-time blemish, hopefully. And yeah, I mean, as Jason did a good job kind of breaking down what happened on the on the kickoff return, and that was a big deal. But like one guy was out of position, 
um, and Pittsburgh was able to capitalize on it. So it's One not guy like, plus the safety, plus the safety, whoever the whoever the designated safety was, there was yeah. a little, was a little bit deep. So uh, you pretty easy fix to correct those things. And uh, you know, the, the punting situation, I think it's going to be interesting because I think people are starting to kind of key on that. Um, and I know the rugby style punting is successful, and Carolina hasn't had many blocked over the years. But it seems like there's a lot that get pretty close. Um, but those are the things that you know Larry Porter and, and those guys will kind of. I'm sure they they dove into in the off week, um, and so I I'm not really concerned. Yes, it was a little bit alarming last game, but they've been pretty solid for the last year and a half, and I can t- expect that to continue. Uh, we're going to get to predictions now, and to Mac and the other people that have asked in the chat. No, I'm not adjusting my season predictions um, since Ted's has been added. Only Jason Staples put all those caveats and asterisks on the pre uh, on the preseason prediction pod. So you'd have to talk to him about that. Maybe I'll let him do it after I talk about this. And what I'm going to talk about is our new sponsor, Congruity. Congruity is a North Carolina-based program or or company. They handle payroll, HR, all your employee benefits and needs. If you're a small or or mid-sized business here in North Carolina, you need to go to congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels, chat with them, fill out a questionnaire, and get a free assessment on your business and how they can help. They've got great customer service. Like I said, it's a national company, which is fantastic that they've expanded to the, they cover all 50 states, but they're based in North Carolina. So they want to take care of the folks in North Carolina. Customer service, technology, empowerment for business owners. They handle everything so you can rely and you can worry about growing your business. They handle all of the HR save you money, unlock game-changing growth, everything with congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels. Free assessment. Anytime something's free, you take advantage of it. Congruity will hook you up with that assessment. And then if you join them, they're going to hook you up with some business-changing and transformational stuff for your business or small business. Predictions. Uh I don't know who to start with because I, you know, if I had to bet, y'all are going to be like in the same block on it. So I'll start with Greg. Greg, uh, North Carolina Syracuse. I looked at the Syracuse beat writers, and one Syracuse beat writer had it forty-five seventeen, North Carolina. I talked Ooh. to several Syracuse uh, students, student-run radio, and they're all just down on this Syracuse football team. And I was like, y'all are more down on your team than we are. What is happening up there? What do you think is going to happen on Saturday? Yeah, that's that's interesting that uh, they're that down on their team. I, you know, I, did Syracuse benefit a little bit with the schedule to start? Yeah, but they still won the games. Um, you know, they didn't have a, a single-digit outcome. And I thought they played Clemson pretty competitively. And a couple of turnovers kind of kind of hurt them there. Uh, one one point I want to make, and this is this is where I think there's concern for North Carolina. We we talked a lot about Tez Walker's return and how that really benefits the uh, the passing attack, and it does. But if you look at kind of where North Carolina um, has had some struggles and where Syracuse has really thrived, is kind of the run game. Um, and Syracuse, for example, is they rank 20th in the country in yards per carry allowed against FBS teams. So I know they played Colgate the first game. 
we're taking that out of play. Um, and they're averaging allowing 3.1 yards per carry and even against power five opponents. So Purdue and Clemson, you know, which are two pretty good, you know, that that's a pretty good subset of power five teams to play this early in the year. Syracuse has held those teams to 3.1 yards per carry as well. Carolina, of course, had the good game against um, Appalachian State. But then, as we've talked about, you know, 2.8 yards per carry against Minnesota, uh, two yards per carry at Pittsburgh. Syracuse's defense right now, when you adjust for opponent, is, is better than both of those teams uh, in terms of defensive rankings. And so if, if Syracuse can have some success in really bottling up what Carolina wants to do on the ground, then you start saying, okay, well, you're, you're, are you able to make Carolina somewhat one-dimensional? Yes, Carolina has Drake May. Yes, you now have Tez Walker. So it's not like being one-dimensional as a passing team is a, a bad thing necessarily. But you still maybe don't have the full run of your offense if you can't get your running game going. And I think if – if Syracuse is able to do that and able to stymie North Carolina in the run game, that's how Syracuse makes this really close. Um, I think that's a legitimate concern for North Carolina for reasons we've already talked about. I mean, the, the, the running game in terms of blocking has been the weakness of the offensive line. And Jason showcased this week how you know they're not exactly perfect in the passing game either. Um, so the offensive line, I think to this point, is probably the weakness of this team. And that's what Syracuse and Rocky Long are going to try to exploit. And then for Syracuse, if they're able to not turn the ball over and they're able to stop the run, I think we got a ball game. Uh, that being said, I think Chip Lindsey, because he's had an extra week, uh, he's going to be able to scheme up enough offense where Syracuse does not want to get into a shootout. Uh, Garrett Schrader's good. He's not going to go toe-to-toe with, with Drake May and have any success. So I've got North Carolina winning this one. I don't have it the blowout that the Syracuse people do, but I do have North Carolina winning this one, 35-21. 35-21. I had 33-26 prior to the Tez news. I'll keep it there just to stay consistent. Uh, not covering, and I think the line's gone up actually a point or more since the Tez news. Jason, you've got the floor, my friend. You just can't go 35-21. Yeah, I, actually, I, I – I agree with with virtually everything there. Um, the big concern for me is Syracuse's front four looked better against Clemson than I than I expected they would. They they got a lot of pressure, and they were able to bottle up Clemson's running game pretty well. I mean, I'm 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 looking at this, and I, I think Greg, you you mentioned the numbers as well. Um, but you know, looking at this, giving up, you know, on on the ground success rate i'm trying to find clemson's success rate here on the ground uh yeah rushing so success rate for clemson they had 1.04 line yards per carry and uh overall rushes i don't see it um you look like you're so, looking on the top shelf or something yeah well i've got i've got multiple screens <laughs> you know that's what i'm doing but but uh yards per play rushing 4.47 uh successful rushes 70% for Clemson. That's not too bad in terms of uh, early downs for the middle eight. I guess that's what that is. Let's see the total um, when passing, when rushing. They're 
success rate rushing. I finally found it. So 31% success rate. Clemson's a good, good, good team running the football. So they were able to take away a lot of the run running game. Uh, they were able to get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. And, you know, they're not bad on the back end at corner. They were able to get some, you know, Clemson was able to double move them a couple times. They were able to get some verticals on them. And I think that's where the presence of Tez Walker, I think, is probably actually the difference in this game. I came into today fully prepared to pick, pick, pick Syracuse to upset North Carolina in this game. And given the, the addition of Tez, I'm going to go back on that. But I think this is going to be a close game. I think Carolina is going to have some trouble running the football. I think there's going to be some pressure on Drake May. Uh, and I think Carolina's defense is going to have to hold up against a running quarterback, which they've not been great at. So I'm going to go with a close one. I'm going to go with Carolina uh, 31, Syracuse 27. That would certainly not be a cover, would be a barn burner in Kingston Stadium Saturday at 3.30. Uh, we'll be in, we'll be in the, the Bowls lot, 12.30 to 2.30. So come check out the inside Carolina tent right over there on the Dean Smith Center side of the Bowls lot. You can't miss the tent. Come say shout-out. Joey Powell, Taylor Viplis will be down there. Some of the IC crew, Jeremiah, myself, big time in the Bowls lot. Greg Barnes will be uh, chipping away at more of the NCAA mantle as we've got uh, as we've got more and more to talk about every week, it seems like. Jason Staples, we need to get you to the Bowls a lot. You know, you came like a couple times a while back. I've been there. Maybe maybe we'll get you down there. Greg, you got anything left before I get us out of here? Yeah, this this will be uh, after the game plan. Uh, this is kind of you, – you can go ahead and cut it for the, for the podcast, Tommy. Jason, I'm just going through Dino Baber's uh, career here. He's in year number eight at Syracuse. Do I need to stop the recording now? Do I still roll? No, but you can stop the recording if you want to. Um, I'm going to leave it live. Just don't get me in trouble. He's got five losing records in his first seven years. Is he a good coach? And the reason I ask, let me put this in there. Tommy, do you know who his quarterback was when he had success at Eastern Illinois as his first time as a coach? Oh Jimmy Garoppolo. I know that Jimmy one. Garoppolo. That's right. Oh. And I, then, talked to, I talked to Dino about Jimmy actually right after he took the Syracuse job. Because I was I was actually trying to get uh, Dino to recruit the one of my, one of the quarterbacks that I was coaching at the time, uh-huh. who would have really fit well at at Syracuse actually. Yeah, well then he leaves Eastern Illinois and goes to Bowling Green, which is where Dave Clawson had built up that program before he took the Wake job. So Dino was there for two years with Clawson's players, and then he got the Syracuse job. And other than that one year where they went what ten and two. They really haven't done anything. So I, my, my question remains, is he a good coach? I'm curious season. to know what your thoughts are on this. I'm not sure. I really, I, I, I go back and forth. So I actually think he is a good coach. There's a difference though. There's a pretty big gulf between a good coach and a good coach is somebody who basically gets what you should get out of the program that you're at. Right. So, you know, a good coach, is going to win the SEC, you know, good, you know, more than once at Alabama, right? But he might not win a national title year in, year out at Alabama, right? A good coach is going to, is going to maximize that. And you take that same good coach and he's going to be, you know, competitive for the division once in a while at like Michigan state, right? 
because they're just different levels of program. Syracuse is a hard program to win, right? To go 10 and three once at Syracuse is impressive, right? And remember, they're in the Atlantic. They were in the Atlantic in those years too. And sure. some of those years, you look at, you know, he took over at Syracuse in 2016 and, you know, you had Clemson at their peak. You had some pretty good, you know, a couple good Florida state teams in there before that, that program cratered, uh, you know, Louisville's been pretty good across the, across that, that they were, you, you look at the hierarchy. If you were going to rank, let's say the ACC, the, the old Atlantic division in terms of the potential of the programs. I mean, you got Florida state and Clemson in the top tier, then who are you put in third in that division? Sheesh. Maybe Louisville, NC state Eight, as, right, yeah. sort of, as sort of the second, second tier there. Um, and then, you know, after those four, you start to make decisions between Syracuse, Wake Forest, Boston college, you know, that's the tier that you're competing in. It's hard to win those places. I mean, have you been to Syracuse? I know you have. I went up there. It's, it's a, it's not the easiest place in the world to recruit to. And there's not a ton of talent. So you, you have to kind of take the approach that you do at wake at a wake forest. You have to do some gimmicky things. You have to find, find some guys that are diamonds in the rough that I think the transfer portal has helped them significantly recently. Uh, but I, I think that's a tough job and just managing to hang on for eight years at a place like Syracuse, which is the kind of job that's just going to get coaches fired. It's that kind of job. And, you know, I've talked about this for years where, there are jobs where you leave to take that job because that's a job you can win at. Then there are jobs you leave to take that job because you think you might be able to compete and, you know, hang on for a while. And then there are jobs where, you know, you take that job and you're probably going to get fired before too long, but it's, the money's just worth it to, to do it. And you're willing to, to roll the dice. Syracuse is in the third category and he's hung on for eight years. And they've, they've been a tough out at different points. I mean, they've competed with the Clemsons of the world more than once. I mean, they've, they've got some wins against Clemson. So What's fascinating yeah. to me is you four and eight, four and eight, 10 and three, and then you regress back to five and seven, one and 10 in the COVID year, five and seven, seven, six. It's just a, that's a hell of a roller coaster. Well, a lot of it has to do with the quarterback position. You know, when, when Tommy DeVito got hurt, they, they, they had nothing left. Well, and, and to Jason's point, if you look at kind of the history in the modern era, uh, Paul Pascaloni was by far the best guy that they've had in there. He was there for 14 years and won 64% of his games. And that's kind but of But in like, the Big East, mostly. True. But that was also the, the benchmark. Yeah, um, that's the so benchmark. That's but not that bad. Benchmark, right. That benchmark in the Big East, you adjust down when all of a sudden your competition is different. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, I think you give Paul Pasqualoni – the ACC Atlantic, and he's probably right at around 50% at best. So I, I think he's a good coach. And I think they, I think he's done the thing that, that convinces me more than anything that he's actually a good coach. Look at the coordinator hires that he's made True. since, since they had that 2020, like he, he retooled that entire program after 2020 where he came in and they were running basically the Bryles spread type offense. And he was, he was trying to to do a lot of different stuff along those lines to maximize what he could do in the dome, right? 
And then it became clear in 2020, like this is just not working against the competition we're playing against. And he went out and he hired different coordinators and they, they changed systems and then, you know, adjusted from there. And then 2022, they went out and hired Robert and I, who I think is a really good coordinator. They hired uh, long. I mean, they, they went out and they, they identified really good coordinators. They had one of the best defensive back coaches in the country the last three years. He just went to, I think, Texas. Um, so, you know, he's done a good job of identifying young coaching talent and getting those guys in there. And I think that is another thing that if you're talking about coaches, uh, the quality of a, of a, of a head coach, you have to start very much with how, how good is he at identifying assistant coaching talent and how flexible is he when things aren't working? Is he willing to, you know, downshift and say, well, this is not working for where we are. We've got to change, change tack. And I'm going to find this guy who's going to be able to take us somewhere else. And he's done that well. Yeah. I didn't realize he had been uh, the journeyman as an assistant. I mean, he's, he's 62. Yeah. You you wouldn't believe that when you, you know, stand and talk to him, he, he, he feels and looks a lot younger. Yeah. A lot of energy. Right. Yeah. Been doing it since uh, he was a GA in Hawaii. 1984. (laughs) I can see a mention of dinosaur barbecue. That's that's good stuff, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, you've been listening to the Syracuse uh, Orange Dino Baber show. No, it's it's always cool to hear um, you guys talk about other things other than North Carolina football. Even if it is Syracuse football, it's relevant because it is North Carolina Syracuse three thirty on Saturday. I was looking at his record too in televised games on AC on ABC. He is zero and seven. This game happens to be on ESPN. There's there's been some real close calls in that 0 and seven though. They had a yeah. field goal miss that I think uh, would have given him a win over Clemson. Uh, they had the one game where uh, what's his name uh, the quarterback who was at App last year came in off the bench and made a a big Chase throw. Bryce. Chase yeah. Bryce made a made a big throw on fourth down that that uh, gave Clemson a win in that one. So they had two that should they should have been two and five with with you know changed two plays. I mean they've been real competitive in those games. Yeah, should be a competitive game on Saturday, Inside Carolina. Stay tuned to Inside Carolina for all the coverage. Uh, it's also Basketball Media Day tomorrow. Uh, lost in the Tez Walker news, Hubert Davis's third season um, officially begins with media. Carolina's day a football school now. Inside Carolina will <laughs> be covering that as well. Shout out to Greg and Jason. Shout out to Johnny T-Shirt and Gruity, sponsors of this show. We'll see everybody soon enough. Sunday for day after for Jason and me. Greg, enjoy your weekend, friend. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.